Yo, 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 it's X and it's What's Out Media. Crizzo, where are you, my friend? Right here. Corbiani. And Corey, where you at, buddy? Right here, man. Glad to be here. And today we have a wonderful guest. We have Vilo Brancato Jr. Uh, welcome uh, to the podcast. He has, you, he's known for, you know, C on, uh, you know, a Bronx style. He's been in Sopranos. He's been in Enemy of the State. He's been in Renaissance Man. He's been in a lot of different movies. Uh, but even more incredible than his movie is his comeback story, my friend. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Lilo. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It's really nice to be here with you guys. Um, yeah, man. You know, things, uh, you know, finally looking up for me. But, uh, you know, it wasn't easy. But, uh, you know, just a product of good old hard work, you know? Without a doubt, without a doubt. Uh, your most recent movie that, you know, is available for people to watch is Made in Mexico. You know, we'll probably talk about that later on. Sure. Uh, but we want to, I want to ask you with the first question. I'm going to throw you with the first question. Uh, what was life prior to, uh, like prior to summer of 1992? Oh, I was just like, you know, I was just a middle class, uh, grew up in an Italian American family in Yonkers, New York, which is like 25 minutes north of New York City. It's a neighboring city of the Bronx. It's right there. Um, I actually did well in school. I was an honor roll student. Uh, my behavior was, an, was another thing. Um, I did get thrown out of a few schools, but I always did maintain a very good grade average. Um, and then it was, you know, summer of 1992. Was, I just finished 10th grade. And by that point, you know, from the high school, from ninth grade, I went to three different high schools. Because I got thrown out of one, then thrown out of another for using a fake address. My parents wanted to send me to school a little further upstate, better school. Right. Um, so we used a fake address for my cousin. I know it's like illegal, but who cares? It was a hundred years ago. Right. <laughs> um. So yeah, then I went to Roosevelt High School, and then on the summer in the summer of 1992 was when I was uh, discovered on Jones Beach. Um, you know, there was a film that they were doing. We heard about it. It was called The Bronx Tale. And De Niro was going to be, you know, was going to make his directorial debut. And it was like a big thing, actually. They had billboards, not billboards, like flyers everywhere. And it was on the radio and they were going to high schools. And it was like a pretty big thing. And it was talked about a lot. And, um, you know, secretly to myself, I always thought like, you know, I think maybe I'd be good for that role. Just because people always told me I looked like De Niro. And I think I did more when I was younger. Um and I, and I thought like, maybe, you know, maybe I would be good for something like that, but I would never let anyone hear me say that just because it's like such a long shot. Like, I mean, you know what I mean? Think about what it is from where I was and to go to that, to make that leap. Cause it's basically a thing, something that happens like basically overnight. It really does literally overnight. He tells you you got the part overnight. It's a different life for you, bro. You know what I mean? It's like a whole Definitely. different world. So yeah, they found me on the beach. They asked me to come in and read. I did. I made it to the next level where I was going to New York City. <clears throat> um, it was very intimidating. There was a lot of people reading. But as the days went on, it got like less and less and to the point it was just me. So finally, you know, I thought, I mean, it was common sense. I thought I had this part because there's no one else. But then De Niro told me to dress like I was going to church the next day that was coming in. And then they were going to have a screen test and put me on like actual film. And, uh, you know, to see like on film, you may look different, you know, like maybe, you know, like someone's who knows, like a pronounced jawline someone has maybe too much. I, it just film makes you look different. Right. Um, 
So we did the, when I went there the next day, all dressed up, there was everyone there, like all the finalists that made it to the end. Cause now that everyone's going to be put on film to see like, well, we're going to have these three guys reading for this character and then this and this and this. So at that point, like I said, I thought I had this part, you know what I mean? So now I'm sitting there with my father and this kid comes up to me. who happened to be the kid who shot Sonny at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. He was the kid who was going to get my part. And he was older though. He was 21. I was 16. It would have been like a different movie, but he introduced himself and he was like, Hey man, my name is Phil and I'm reading for the part of Kaloja. I was like, Oh wow. So now that changed everything. My confidence was drained. A lot of it was drained right there because now it's like, now I know I really have to compete because up to that, like I didn't think there was anyone else there. And yeah, I look like De Niro, but that doesn't mean anything. Does that give me a little bit of an edge? Yes. But is it everything? No, because you could look like De Niro and be like as stiff as a board and you're not going to get the part. And you're going to get a guy that looks more like Al Pacino reading for De Niro's son and he's going to get the part just because, you know, it's more ability. So I'm thinking <clears throat> this kid made it all the way to this point that he's got to be definitely good. So I knew I, I had my work cut out for me and, you know, we were doing like, they did all the other parts first and then it was him versus I, you know, me and him. And they did the scene when Sonny smacks him, you know, smacks, smacks me around thinking that I put a, a bomb in his car. So he did the scene first and my father and I were outside and we're listening to this scene. Cameras are rolling, there's lights everywhere. And this is De Niro's building, the Tribeca, Tribeca building. Tribeca, Tribeca is a part of, you know, New York City. Um, you heard of it, right? Do you know what it means? Uh, actually, I don't know what it means, but yeah, I'm, I'm aware of it, like the Tribeca Film Festival, well, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but what it means is it's a section of Manhattan. It's the triangle below Canal Street. When you go down this canal and then there's that triangle, that little piece right there, that's Tribeca. But that's his building. Okay. So that's the second floor is where they had the screening room. So the kid goes in to do that scene and we hear them roughing him up. It's very obvious. They're smacking him. You could hear, you could hear it. I mean, my father, my father looked at me like, what did you get yourself involved in? You know? So then when he came out, he was all disheveled. He was like handprints on his face. His shirt was ripped. And so now I'm like, you know, I got to go in like, wow, this guy's going to like beat the shit out of me. So I went in, I did it. And they never hit me once, never hit me once, which I came to find out, which I came to find out later on because I asked De Niro, I said, you know, hey, Bob, why didn't you guys hit me that night when, you know, you guys have to, he said, we didn't have to. You bought the emotion necessary and needed to sell it, to be what it was. So the ultimate compliment coming from De Niro. And I don't want to take anything away from my friend, Phil, the kid who played, was he shot Sonny at the end. They did give him that role. I mean, I'm sure they would have gave him a role of one of the friends, but it probably just wouldn't have worked because he was 21. Because he was older. Like 15, 16, 17. And at that age, you know, like, when you're like 45 and 41, it's not that big of a difference. <clears throat> but 15 and 21 is a very big difference at that time. You know what I mean? So. So, wow. So when they told you you got the part, how did you feel? Like, were you surprised or did you kind of already expect it? Like, No, okay. I didn't expect it. At that point, it could have went either way. 
at that point, it could have went either way. That was a Thursday when we did the screen test. They usually called me every day. I waited till Sunday. They finally got in touch with me and said, come in on a Monday. Mm-hmm. So when I went upstairs, De Niro just, you know, I mean, he told me we, everything. We loved everything he did. But then he could have said we went with Phil because we think he's older and he's more suited for this responsibility. Right. But Tommy, you got the part. And it was, I was very relieved because, like I said, I was there. I knew I had it. But then he said, I'm reading for your role. So then it was like a big balloon. Mm. Now it's like I got to fight for my, now I'm fighting for my life. And I, my performance in the audition in the screen test was probably would have probably been better had I not known. <clears throat> or maybe right. the other one. I don't know. True, true, true. But sometimes you get too cocky and too complacent and it's just like, ah, it's nobody. I'm up against nobody. And then, and maybe you slack. Maybe you think you're doing it, but you're not. And then maybe subconsciously, because you know you got to compete against this kid that you know you may, without even realizing, go into something a little more than usual just because of that. So whatever it is, it worked. And, uh, you know, and like, you know, I don't think I beat him because I'm a better actor. I think I beat him because I was looked like De Niro and I was more the right age. That's it. The more the right age to make the movie better. Cause at 21, he's a little too old already. You know what I mean? It's 16, 15, right. 16 years old. That's more like when you could take a kid, put him under your wing. Right. At 21, he's already been under the wing. He's going to put somebody under the yeah. wing in a few years, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's the way I look at it. And uh, so it wasn't, yeah, we got the part. We started shooting in uh, late summer, fall of two, uh, 1992. <clears throat> we never knew. I mean, I got to be honest with you. I don't think they ever thought it was going to be as big as it got. It was more like an experiment. The Nero was making his directorial debut. He didn't want any known act, like he didn't want professional actors. He wanted, you know, raw, raw talent to make it authentic. And, you know, you could, uh, I think De Niro did a genius job all the way around from the casting to the, you know, the production, the production, the, all the detail, I mean, everything, everything was, I mean, perfection. No one else could have made that movie as good as he did. And, uh, you know, he was there. He did it. He was at the right age, at the right time to play that role, Lorenzo. It all happened perfectly. And, uh, you know, like I said, like I said, you know, you got all these, you know, inexperienced, untrained actors for the most part in this film. That's a big roll of the dice. And there's millions of dollars behind us. You know what I mean? That could have went the total opposite. Could have been a disaster. They could have lost all that money. Could have never, you know, would have, you know, never even came out because they probably, you know, but it it went as well as it could have went, and and it's all because of the fans. And I tell them that, you know, all the time when people, oh, I love the Bronx. I was like, no, it's because of you. It's because of you. Hey. What, what you know, what it is today. It's yeah, people my, like yourself. My grandma, very, su- she's a super fan, and uh, she has a question. She says, "What was it like working with Chazzy P, Chaz Palminteri, and uh, Robbie G, Robert De Niro?" How was it working with them? And I could imagine that those two, they were acting as like, uh, they, they must have been like acting coaches to the rest of the cast because, you know, they had had they had experience, right? They've had like Robert De Niro had a lot of experience. Oh, by forget then. it. Chad's not so much though. Right, right, right. I know he had some, but not like, not, not too That was much. really, now he does, but that was early on. I think he did that movie, uh, remember Oscar with Sylvester Stallone? Yep. It was like a silly movie. Yeah. You know, 
and Stallone would tell him you know, he was Stallone's bodyguard. He was there like he was like his dumb lackey, and yeah. Stallone would tell him, "Don't call me boss." Okay, <laughs> he told, "Don't call me boss," and then he'd say, "Okay, boss." Like it's like you got. <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. That's, it was called Oscar. That's all I had seen him in prior to that, and uh, but yeah, I mean he's you know he's great. The Bronx Tale. <clears throat> I mean you know that was his story, his whole thing, and he could not have been better, or no one in this world could have been better than Sonny than he was. Perfect. Another you know perfect. You know tall, slim guy. The way they had him, he was unique. He's not what like when you watch movies, gangsters. That's not what you picture. Right. But even though you don't picture it, when you see it, it's still right. Not what it's, you envisioned, but when you see it, like, yeah, that works too. Right, yeah, works. yeah, it does fit. <laughs> yeah. You're like, you're like, yeah, that's the exact type of feeling I have when watching it. And I'm like, does he fit that type? Like, no, like, I'm thinking more, you know, like maybe Frank Vincent or something like that. It's yeah, like, yeah, oh, but yeah. yo, man, but that's, that's, you know what it is? It's like, when you cast those types that are like really, really look it, it's almost like a caricature, like an exaggerated portrait. Yeah. You know, like it's like caricature-ish. Like Tony Soprano's not caricature-ish. He was so real, fat, balding. Bro, that guy was perfect. That's what those guys look like. They get chubby, man. They eat out every night and stuff like that. They don't give anything, you know, yeah. they give, like a lot of them give a shit about their diet. Yeah. You're talking about Mount Vernon. After this, I'm going to go to Mount Vernon myself. I'm going to get pizza over there. You know Johnny's oh, pizza? Oh, my God. Dude, I was about to bring that up, man. You know Johnny's? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm going there tonight. I just, yeah, I'm going there tonight. I got a picture of that. Like, I looked at that right before I started the podcast because I'm like, I haven't been there in like, like, I kid you You not, guys know I Johnny's? I don't know if they do. Uh, I don't, uh, all right, let me tell you something. Johnny's is like third in the country. That good. Okay. Wow. If you go, you know that guy, David Portnoy, the yep. Barstool Sports Barstool guy. Yep. Okay. Google what would it when he gives like an eight two, right? It's like wow, right? Or even a seven nine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I know he knows pizza because he does one on Johnny's. And by the way, he gave them a nine one. Yeah. He gave Sally's Sally's is the top in the country. He gave them nine three, and they're in New Haven, Connecticut. Johnny's is nine one. Okay. And I know he knows pizza because he's it's a thin, it's a thin, a small, you know, it's a thin crust pie. You can't get slices. Dude, it's unreal. Like the, the, the crust has got like a buttery taste. It's just like perfection, the way it just cry, like when you fold it, but it's still got the crunch and it's thin. And I know he knows pizza. If I if he would have said something bad about that pizza, I would have never watched him again. <laughs> Nothing. This place is freaking made multi-millions of dollars. People are multi-millionaires from this place. And this guy's telling me, yeah, okay. But he knew right off the bat, wow, Frankie, wow, look at this pie. He goes, oh, it's crazy, crispy. Frankie, look at crispy. He goes, if anybody knows me, know my nickname. He's going to call me crispy, crispy. I like crisp. And he's talking about it. And then he goes, he goes, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> he just went, wow. Like, and then I knew. I know this guy knows pizza. He gave them a nine one. I'm going there, bro. You know what it is though? What is it? It's got that short shelf, that that short shelf life. It's like, yeah, it's always great, but yo, you gotta eat it when it's even though it's when it's right scorching hot. You want it's it's like, <laughs> the cheese, the cheese is not sprinkled on, it's layers. 
It's like mm. sheets of mozzarella. It's kind of different. It's just heaven, bro. It's pizza heaven. It's the best. best You're making world. me hungry, man. You're yeah, making me hungry. Oh, I ain't eat dinner yet, man. You're making me hungry. <laughs> Oh, you're in Florida, and these guys are in Cleveland. I'm sure Cleveland got some pretty decent pizzerias, right? Oh, we got yeah, we got we got some decent pizzerias. And yeah, we got not like that, but yeah, yeah, no, in no way is it you, is it comparable to anything in New York and a tri yeah, yeah, no, no, at no. all. Uh, my cat, look, see my cat. Say hello. Let's see, let's oh. see. Yo, hello. <laughs> Stay uh, all right, stop. Come on, hold on. All right, so. so Oh, my bad, my bad. Go ahead, go ahead. Talk to me, talk to me. Yeah, I was going to say, so what was the whole, uh, you know, process of production? And also, like, dude, you did a voiceover at that age, and you did it, like, really well. Like, you ever think about being a voice actor? I know you were, like, a voice, you did a voiceover for Chris Brown recently or whatever. So, like, you ever I'll think about I'll tell you about what, bro, it? I certainly would not be opposed to it. <clears throat> I mean, listen, if the work is there, I'll definitely love to do something like that. I would love to. You know, it's, I mean, yep. it's like probably fun. It's easy. Right. Um, you know, yeah, no, so, yeah. without a doubt. So like, so now how was the, the, like the process of production? Like how long were you like, you know, how long were you recording scenes? Like how long did it take to film the whole thing type deal? Well, they started August 31st, 1992. We went all the way through the fall, September, October, November, December. We took over, we took off January and then February, we went back in for like maybe another week or so just to pick up shots that we needed. Um, so, you know, September, October, November, December. So four or five, you know, four and a half months, maybe. Okay, okay. Yeah. That's a so lot, man. Believe me, that's a lot. That's a lot. Because, you know, <clears throat> do you know how much money you have to have to be able to have a crew on the set every day, food, cameras, film, everything? To have that going for four months, it's a lot of money, bro. Believe me. So, yeah, I bet. I, I bet. So when you were working with Chaz and De, De Niro, sorry, um, what what tips did they give you as far as acting or like um, life tips, like in general, while you was working with them? And like also too, what are some things that you picked up just by observing them and how they were acting, you know, and how they were performing well it was more De Niro I mean he did warn me about what you know what lies ahead like when this movie comes out your life's going to change and to be very careful or who's going to you know, gonna have people coming at you from all angles but De Niro always told me that less is more like as an actor less is more it, you know when he says if you don't feel like doing anything don't do anything at all that's better than doing too much you know so you always stress less is more, like really, you know, and that's, that is key. I mean, it really, it's, you know, sometimes when you're under the, you know, you know, like you're in front of the camera and stuff like that. And, you know, maybe it's a little harder than you think, but when you get used to it, it's uh, a lot easier to be less, you know what I mean? Cause it's hard. Sometimes you're big just because of your nerves. You know what I mean? You got all these strangers in there with lights on you and cameras. And sometimes it could be like, you know, of course you prepare it when you're home and you do it in your mirror a thousand times. There's no one there. So once you can like, you know, get to, you know what I mean? You can really hone in on the craft and really remember what he said. Less is more. Cause it'll look more comfortable as well. You, it mm -hmm. probably makes you more comfortable if you're like, you know, not doing too much and not being like, oh, oh I need to, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, you don't want to oversell it. Right. Yeah. Because then it just doesn't look real. Exactly. You know, 
always, and he would say, think of what it is. Think of what it is in real life that someone would be in this situation or how they would be. Look at this dialogue and think of what it is. If this applied to real life, how would this guy say this? Even though it's like not like, but you, you, when you do think of what it is, it's like you really do think. Sometimes we don't think of the things that we should be thinking of that are obvious, but sometimes it's just that little thing that we're told to do when it's not even, and then we just like do it. And then it's like, makes such a big difference in our lives. You take these little things for granted and they make a big difference, you know? Yeah. And uh, when you're actively thinking about what you're saying in any given scene, you can think too much about it. And then, as you said before, you're exaggerating it. I feel like a, a, the big important thing, and I feel like Nero really understands this, is like the small things in each little conversation. Mm -hmm. But uh, also, uh, being his uh, directorial debut, and in every production, you're going to have difficulties and challenges. What was like some of the big ones that you had through your production? I mean, there was day-to-day -day stuff just right. because, you know, these are not professional actors. So you have a lot of guys that are from the street and they're playing extra roles. And there was a lot, and there was a lot going on. There was a lot of bickering between people. Sometimes there would be fights and little things like that would happen on set, you know? Um, but overall, like anything really big, no, I don't, I don't remember any, but like stuff like that did happen, you know? Oh, well, that's good that you didn't have anything that was, uh, that you can remember ever. Yeah, yeah no, no, I remember, you know, like, I mean, I'll tell you what, when the union, when the Screen Actors Guild, when they come on the set, everybody, you know, everybody makes sure that they're in line because, you know, the union, you get somebody who represents the union, they find something wrong on that set. They could, they could shut you down. And literally, too, they don't care if it's Steven Spielberg. They'll shut you down. <laughs> if you have those plastic that's supposed to be over the wires, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. Like, anything. They could shut you down in two seconds, you know? So, but I don't remember anything specifically on that, you know? So, yeah. come on. So, I was watching uh, I was watching an interview that you had with uh, uh, Michael Franzis, and you were, you were actually, it was a little reunion from a Bronx tell, and you were saying, you know, you still were treated like kids on set. So like, how, how was that? How was that? Well, that was great. I mean, you would get gifts from like De Niro, uh, Jane Rosenthal, Chaz. We were treated like, well, we were kids, you know? We were, you know, I think she was 17 and I was 16. <clears throat> so it was nice. It was definitely a, a great perk. <laughs> definitely was. How was the movie perceived when when it first came out? Like, how was, um, you know, like the neighborhood reaction to it, your school? Like, how did oh, people- everybody loved it. Everybody was blown away. Um, everybody was blown away. Everybody loved it. The reviews were great. Um, Cisco and Eber, two thumbs up. <clears throat> um, I think one of them even said I was picture perfect in the review. <laughs> Wow. You're perfect. Now, I don't know if they meant to the performance, but picture wise, the way I looked, yeah. but picture perfect, because I look just like De Niro. Like, yeah, this kid looks just like his son. So that's more, I think, what they meant, but that's what they said in the review. Broncado is picture perfect. Perfect. Oh, so how did in, that's in a Playboy magazine when they reviewed the film in 93, Jerry Seinfeld's on the cover. No, Get that no. issue and you will see picture perfect, my friend. Mm. 
<laughs> that is a bizarre copy of Playboy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so my uncle has a question for you. It's did having an on-screen uh, interracial relationship uh, like did that affect you personally, like in life? Like did people no. have anything about that? No. No, absolutely not. I mean, to be honest with you, I like black girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do very much. <laughs> I, uh, I do. I have. I did back then, and. So I think I mean, the question was more like, geared toward did anybody have like did anybody say anything about that at the time or they're like oh, okay we see you you know we see like was it anything like that? What do you mean like in a good way? Yeah, in a good way. Oh, are you yeah. kidding me? Everyone. Okay, everyone. okay. Oh, you, like bro, your night, your life changes overnight. Like, gosh. yeah, I was, that was 16, I was seventeen years old, but I was going out. I was, you know, going out with women in like their early thirties, bro. I was like eighteen years old. <laughs> Yeah, that was going to be like, that was going to be my next question, right? Like after the movie came out and you had this quick, uh, you know, fame, how did people treat you, you know, to your friends, women, or even like your family, right? Like how did they perceive you like compared to before you even had the movie? It's like after all that happened with a lot of people, it's like you could do no wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Lilo, you can do no wrong. Lilo, you want this? Lilo, you need this? Hey, Lilo, Lilo, oh, that was great. That was, you know what I mean? Everything changes. It's like in the Bronx tale when the, the guy who sold the fruits knew that the little kid, remember before he treated him, like, he like, get out of here. Get the hell away from my stuff. Oh, yeah. And then when he found out he knew Sonny, yeah. that's where he was. That respect. <laughs> hey, Colojo, I mean she. I, I mean she. That was, you know. <laughs> but that's, but that's, hey, Lilo, I mean, Cologero. Ah, ah. <laughs> you know? So you were like, you were like a local celebrity as well as a big celebrity, like on a, on a, like, on a small Absolutely. level and on a big level. That's really cool. Absolutely. Uh, so, but you know, that, but oh. you know, listen, local celebrity to many but not to everyone. And some people like, you know, there's jealousy and stuff too now. Kids your age are like, you know, they get jealous of that. And, you know, that's just an emotion that a lot of people feel. And they, they get, and they, you know, they become that way. And, you know, that also brought a lot, you know, some negativity in my life. Cause like I would go out places and now like people want to make a name for themselves or whatever. They're gonna start fighting with you. You're gonna get jumped. I've been jumped a million times, bro. I got to, you know, I got into my share of fights, and not by no means saying I'm a tough guy, but you know, a lot of that's you know because of that. A lot of people want to like test you. You get people looking yeah, for you. you get people that just want to bust your head open just to say, oh, you know that kid from the Bronx still? Yeah, I busted his fucking head open. You know, but that's that, that's the way it is, man. You know, you got yeah. a whole different walks of life, and then you got people that love and adore you, and they'll give you everything and anything. You want my daughter? Here she is. You want this? <laughs> you know yeah no, so, not at all. um so uh i was gonna ask so right after bronco you start is this when you like uh started like drugs started coming into the play of your life like yeah bronx still like yeah that's when i started smoking pot i smoked with that kid phil garbarino who shot sunny yeah he was the first time i smoked um and once again not blaming him or you know it was my own decision he had it in the car he drove me home one night from from the set and we went and we smoked. We smoked in the Bronx in Van Cortland Park. And he was a he was a he was a lifeguard there back in the day. Oh really? <clears throat> so I remember we we're in there, we're smoking, 
And I, I thought I got high, but I really didn't because then on the set, when we did the scene, is it better to be loved or feared? I, I smoked again that day and, that, I, and then I knew I was high. And uh, yeah, absolutely. It was night and day and I, you know, I, doing that scene, I had no saliva. I was like, it was a disaster. And I'm not proud of that, but um, it just happened to be when it all started. But before that, I was like really like already drinking like little, you know, like beer and stuff like cut 40 ounce with my friends, you know. Right. And then when that started, then we're smoking 40s. I mean, smoking 40s, smoke, uh, drinking 40s and smoking blunts. You know, it was during the whole Wu-Tang era. Yeah. And that was like, you know, with the, the baggy jeans, with the plaid, you know, shirts, you know, all that was during that era. And then that's when that, and that's when Bronx Tale, that's when these movies were coming out. And then going out in the city, in New York City, the limelight, the Palladium, Club USA, the Tunnel, the Expo. <laughs> Those were all the clubs back then. Those were some of the best in New York City history. And I was out, I was there. I mean, the best is probably Studio 54. I didn't I didn't experience that. But I'll tell you what, I don't know if Studio 54 was on the level of some of these clubs as far as as big as it was and the, the stuff that went on in there because these pieces were nuts. And that guy who owned all those clubs, his name was Peter Gation. He was the executive producer on The Bronx Tale because wow. Chaz, who played Sonny, he was a bodyguard at the limelight. And... You know, he held out all the way to the end because people offered him money for his story, but they didn't want him to play Sonny. And he right. was like, nah, man, I'm playing Sonny. <clears throat> he got Peter Gation, once De Niro was attached to put up, I think the budget was like 20 million. And that was back then, 92, okay. 92 20 million is like 50, 60 million now. So it was, uh, it was a lot of, you know, for them, was putting, they put some money behind it. And, uh, you know, that was, yeah, then I did Renaissance Man, and then I did Crimson Tide with Denzel. Renaissance Man was with DeVito, and everything was, uh, you know, everything was going really well, going really smooth. <clears throat> but then I just, like, started going out much, you know, a lot more, you know, realizing, like, I'm a kid. And, you know, this acting stuff will always be here. I got it really easy, so it's not going to go anywhere. But, you know, to be honest with you, it did. Right. You know, you, you give up, miss up these opportunities. They don't come back. You got to really. And that's some advice that I would give to, you know, actors coming up. You get these opportunities. You got to really strike the iron when it's hot. You know? Yeah, mm -hmm. without a doubt. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit. Of, so what was it like working with, like, Danny DeVito, freaking, you know, Denzel Washington? I could imagine, like, oh, great. other actors that are, you know, on another level as well. Yeah, I mean, all the, yeah, I mean, everybody was great, you know. Um, Denzel's from Mount Vernon, so we spoke about that. <clears throat> um, you know, took me for a ride in his Ferrari. Uh, Denzel's a great guy, man. I think he's probably one of the best around right now, if not the best. He's great, you know. Yeah, man. I, I love the equalizers. Oh my goodness. I, I, I could watch that. I could watch I could that. watch that guy. I mean, that guy could you could watch him you know stare at the wall and it'll be good. <laughs> He's that good. I've seen him in films and I look at these films and I'm like, if this guy wasn't in this movie, this movie wouldn't even be watchable. This guy like could take anything. Like anything. seriously, yeah, yeah. I, I, I totally agree. I totally agree. Oh. I don't want to start saying names of movies, but I've seen him. I'm like, look at this movie. But yo, but then there's movies where he's like, he's awesome and the movie's awesome. Cause he yeah. does a lot of awesome movies. He's a, you know, like that guy's a movie star and a great actor. You know what I'm saying? A movie star, I mean, you got like that movie star appeal. 
Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's got that, and he's also got the chops. Yeah, he's one of those he's movie cool. elevators. Yeah, yeah. Denzel's, like, you know, he's in a class of his own, that guy. You know? What, what's one of your, like, uh, favorite films that, like, speaks directly to you? In, in just in general? In general, yeah. It could be something you worked on. It could be anything. Well, I like Bad Lieutenant with Harvey Keitel. I don't ever know if you ever saw that, where he plays that, you know, the lieutenant in New York City. Uh, I it's as raw as they get, bro. It was directed by Abel Ferrara. I worked with him on RXmas with Dre Di Matteo. He did King of New York. I mean, he's top. You know, he's some of the some some really good films. Bailey right. Tennant is my favorite. I think my favorite ever. It's just so raw. My friend Anthony one time invited me to his house. I was like, "Yo, I want you to come over. I want you to watch this movie. It's called Bad Lieutenant. This guy Abel Ferrara. He did, uh, you know." We watched it in the afternoon. I was like, holy moly. I was like blown away. If you see the stuff that goes on in this movie, you will, you'll, you've never seen a movie like this. Trust me when I tell you. It's on the list. Did you, have you seen it? Has anybody seen it? I, I've seen like I've seen parts of it. I've seen parts of it. Nah, it's, dude, it's so nuts. I got to watch it like all the way. He pulls over these two girls. He's a lieutenant. And he, he asks them, like, you know, basically, you want to go to jail or you want to go home? What are you going to do for me? Like, I mean, but like... Mm. The, the cover of the movie says he's a gambler, he's a junkie, he's a thief, he's a killer, and he's a cop. Cop. He's a New yep. York State lieutenant. Mm. Smoking crack. It's fucking nuts, bro. It's as raw as they get, bro. It really is. I, I've seen part of it. That that movie is pretty wild. Uh, and then they made the other one with uh, Nicolas Cage. I heard it wasn't as good. I didn't see it. Oh, yeah. No. But I, I remember I remember reading Obo, Abel Ferrara. He was a little upset that the movie was remade. So he said, uh, I think he said like something like, I hope the director dies a bloody, a, bl- a bloody violent death or some crazy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Self nuts. <laughs> right? Seriously. Yeah, he goes, I hope the director dies a bloody, di- a violent death. All right. Well, Sheesh. Well, now you can tell us how you really feel. <laughs> right. <laughs> so well, what's up, man? Yeah, it, it, um, going back, I got another question about Bronx Tales, probably the last one. But um, what what scene is like most impactful to you? Because you know people will talk about how uh, is it better to be feared or loved. They'll talk about that scene. People will talk about the the door lock test. I love that scene. But what, what what's uh, most impactful to you? Um, I like when Sonny Chaz tells the kid like, and the kid says, you know. He goes, uh, you know, Bill, you know, Mickey Man, he made Mickey Mantle cry. And Sonny says, What do you care about Mickey Mantle for? He don't care about you. Go see if your father can't pay the rent. Go ask Mickey Mantle, see what he tells you. Nobody cares. He cares. That was good. It's true, though. Come on, bro. You think, uh-huh. <clears throat> I mean, listen, we idolize and, you know, but when it comes down to it, a lot of these, you know, professional athletes or, you know, whatever it is, they wouldn't, they, come on, man. It's, yeah, they're not. They're not going to release. What are they going to do to your day to day? Right. I, I, yeah, yeah. I totally that, understand that. It's not that they're. I'm not saying that they're selfish and they don't give. They don't give a shit about you. No, it's not like that. It's more like because they're making all that money and you see all that glamour and glitz doesn't mean that they don't have their own problems to take care right. of. Everybody's got a story, bro. Everybody. A lot of times you get all these people with all that money. Those are the. Those are the most empty ones. Okay, those are the most empty ones. So, you know, but uh, I like when he said that. That was cool. And that definitely. You know why too? He said that also more like 
Like, what are you idolizing this fucking guy? I want you to idolize me. I'm a real motherfucker. Fuck this punk. He's <laughs> That's basically what he's saying. What do you care about him for? He don't give a fuck about you. Go see your father can't pay the rent. Go ask him, uh, Mickey Mantle, see what he tells you. He gives a fuck about you, basically. Come on, bro. You want to idolize a real man? You idolize me. That's what he was saying. You idolize me. That's what I love about that movie, he's, saying, he's basically saying, you think Mickey Mantle got the balls right now? Huh? Do what I do? I'm going to fucking shoot him right in his head. Go see your boy Mickey Mantle. Go ask him. See if he'll do that. I show him a gun, he'll piss his fucking pit. You know what I mean? That's basically, yeah. you know? But it's the truth. Yeah. It really is. Yeah, I think it's a very important thing to care about people who are worth your time. Absolutely. Sounds obvious, but. And that's what I loved about the movie, man. I just love that it had, like, you know, it had two different perspectives and it had, like, you know, it, like a lot of your characters where you do like the, like when you were like younger, a lot of your characters, it was like, they were always like curious, like, you know, whether we talk about, you know, like, you know, in a Bronx tale, like you got like your father and then you got like, you know, a, another like type father figure, you're getting like wisdom from both sides. And then he was like conflicting. It's like, oh man, like you're getting both, you're, you're getting wisdom on both sides and kind of like, which one am I going to pick? Am I going to pick this on this end or this end? It's not like you're like essentially just picking one side. That's what I love about the movie, man. Yeah, see, that's really what the movie was. It was like that struggle, that tug of war. I wasn't really a gangster movie. Like, Goodfellas was a gangster movie. That's what it was about. Yeah. It was about gangsters that robbed the airport and that. But Bronx Tale was a father-son, you know, tug of war. With, you know, and it just happened to be in an Italian neighborhood with gangsters. It could have been in a, you know, anywhere. A Jewish neighbor or whatever. Because say like, you know, the son's got the father and now he's got the local, say rabbi, you know, who's, you know what I mean? Now, you know, like there's, maybe there's rumors that the guy's doing some shady shit and the father, now the rabbi's, you know, telling this kid like, you know, stay in school, do this, do that. And then the father's saying, you know, he ain't your son, he's my son. You know what I mean? That could happen right there too. And it would have had the same thing. Like, which way does this kid go? But it happened there. And, you know, I think it was a definitely in a pretty cool place where it did happen, you know. You know, the Bronx, you know, I mean, it's all real, you know, that, I mean, it's it's a real story. And the yeah. guy with Sonny, his name was like Sonny Lo Specchio. Like, it was real, it's just real stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and, uh, you know, and there's, you know, the biker gang. <clears throat> there's a gang. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, ba a biker gang called the Chingaling Gang, the Chingalings. They're in Fordham right now. That's who that was. No way. You know, that's all real stuff. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, when uh, Sonny was killed, and you know, at his funeral, it was like really just like you, you know, De Niro. You know, he's paying respect. You know, even though he had conflict, you know, conflicts with with you know Sonny in the movie, it was like he was still there. You know, he still paid his respect because he knew that his son like looked up to him. And then, you know, at the last second, man, like nobody else is there. Then, you know, freaking uh, my boy Joe Pesci comes in, man. So like. How was that scene? Because, like, Joe Pesci is oh, one of my favorite actors. Yeah, that's, that's a cool scene. Just because, like, if you didn't, like, I knew the movie, obviously, from the inside out because I had the script and I was in it and I knew it was going to happen. But if you didn't know what was going to happen and then, like, you see Pesci and then he says, you remember me years ago in front of your house? And then <laughs> it makes you realize, oh, shit, that was him in the beginning of the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean, it'll, make you watch, it'll make you watch that part again. Fuck you, you free hole. <laughs> oh, the guy, remember the street? <clears throat> That word freehold is a very Bronx. It's very authentic. It's very Bronx. And it's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, 
Yeah. And that is insane, man. Like you, like just doing a freaking Pesci like impression, sounding like Pesci, looking like De Niro. That's freaking hilarious, man. Yeah. Freaking the, hilarious. The, the, the hybrid. <laughs> yeah, <without a> doubt. <laughs> so um going back to your recovery process, what made you decide that you know what I wanna be sober, right? Like what what uh, like initially <laughs> I mean convinced you you would think after somebody died I would say yo man enough but I still wanted to go um I just was letting down too many people and I knew that at that point in my life since I was incarcerated you know after my drug addiction spiraled out of control to 2005 when I was out with my ex-girlfriend's father, cause she didn't want to be with me anymore. So I became his friend. So she wouldn't call the cops. I would just say I'm with him. So we went out that night. We allegedly, we didn't break. We weren't trying to break in the house. Yes, I broke the window and all that, but I knew the guy and I was screaming his name. I made all this noise. That's not a burglary. It does, it's not a burglary. I know they want to try to sell that. Burglars are quiet. You wouldn't have heard one sound. I would have had tools I would have the right way. I wouldn't have went there breaking glass. I was drunk, I was messed up. I was trying to get the guy's attention. And because it was a cop, they made it out to be like, oh my God, these guys wasn't burglarizing the house. That's like, come on. <laughs> but um, yeah, to get drugs. And then, uh, you know, it was a, a gunfight ensued. I got shot. My co-defendant got shot. The cop got killed. Daniel Enchotegui, he got killed, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, and then... My ex-girlfriend's father, he's the one that shot him. We were locked up, you know, for years. And uh, <laughs> and I'm in jail now fighting for my life. I got a murder case that I'm facing, and I'm still doing this. And then I overdosed November 12, 2006 in my cell. And then I just realized, like, and then I had an attorney visit November 18th, 2006. And I'm still trying, I'm still getting high. But then when I see my cousin and my friend who came to see me on the attorney visit, they're very disappointed in me. And that day something clicked. I was like, I'm, I'm turning everyone around, turning everyone in my life away from me. They're like, they don't want to see, they didn't want to come there anyway. I mean, who all wants to go see people you love in jail and in this situation, but then you're being an asshole about it and you're still doing it. Right. You're not going to have anybody. And I knew the only shot that I had at beating the case was for, for me to be involved in a big way. Because I knew I was there that night. I'm gonna, I know what happened that night more than anybody else. You know what I mean? And well, except for Steven too. But, you know, and that would be an advantage to have you, you gotta help your lawyer help you. Cause it's, you know, the case files, the case files. So I just decided, man, this is my life. And I knew that before, but that like clicked in. My life literally depends on me getting sober. sober. I have to. I, if I have any shot at beating this case, I have to. And I did it. In the beginning, it was hard. Because I still, your body still craves it. And you still, I would, I would get it at church. You know, it's like every time I went to church, I would associate that. And I, then I knew I can't get it anymore. But, you know, you take, you know, you remove yourself from it. And I believe it or not, I replaced working out with it. <clears throat> that became an addiction. I was buying all this tuna at commissary, was eating right doing all kinds of shit, man. I was like pull-ups off the bar, you know, everything. Every, all day, every day I was doing something. And believe it or not, I got pretty big. I got pretty big because I went there. I was 130 pounds. I was all cracked out. 
Yeah. <clears throat> that was the end of 05, beginning of 06. By spring, summer of 07, I got up to like 185, 190, man. I was stocky. Wow. Pretty serious, oh, yeah. you know? That is crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I was about to ask, okay, so between like 2000, 2005, like you didn't do a lot of acting. Like you did some acting, but you didn't do a lot of acting. And uh, what was life like that during that time? Were you just Well, like then, you know, that time period is when I got hooked on the narcotic pain medication after I had an injury to my head. You see it? Yep, yep, yep. Oh, wow. I jumped out of a car one night due to cocaine psychosis, to paranoia. I thought these guys in the car were going to kill me. I jumped out, messed my head up, and then I got hooked on the pain pills. And so that whole time was that. That's what went on. I was chasing those pills. I was working, but my main focus was the pills because it was getting worse every day. They grabbed such a hold on you. Then it went from that to the heroin. And then, you know, December 10, 2005. But, uh, you know, so we charged with murder. I was charged with murder two. He was murder one. We stayed there for like three years. He went to trial. He blew trial. He got convicted of murder one. I beat trial except for attempted burglary in the first degree with serious physical injury to a non-participant. So I ended up getting 10 years. I did eight with three already in Rikers. I only have five to do. I went, I did it. I, I, I got my GED. I went to college. I paid for it out of my own pocket. It wasn't offered from the facility or New York state. They don't do that anymore. Only yeah. GED. Um, and then uh, <clears throat> I finished up my time. I came home. It was hard. Right. Very hard because <clears throat> I, I say you, so you were in Rikers for like, well, five years, was it? No, no, three years beginning, oh, three years. Rikers. Yeah, that's like hell on earth, that place. You got police corruption, there's drugs everywhere, there's fights, there's gangs, weapons, you know, everything. Rikers is, you know, hard place. Like, it's a hard place. I think I even saw it on Family Feud recently. There was a, one of the most, the top, whatever it was, dangerous places in America. Rikers Island was number one. And wow. you can wow. look it up because I saw it. I was like, whoa, yeah. So that, that's ins that's insane. So like, did you know? So when did you get into Rikers? And did you did you know that you were in Rikers, or like, did it like someone tell you, oh, you're in Rikers? Like, how did yeah, that we we went from Bellevue Hospital after being all shot up because we both got shot. Right. So we were in a hospital first. We went from Jacoby Hospital and Trauma Center in Westchester Square in the Bronx from December 10th until the 15th. On the 15th, we were moved to Bellevue which is off the East River in Manhattan. The reason why they call it Bellevue, it's a beautiful view, Bellevue. And mm -hmm. uh, they took us there and they have the prison wards. And then we got beds, we got the morphine drip, milk and cookies. So we were good, the 15th, the 16th, the 17th, the 18th. Um, you know, I saw my parents over the weekend, and we were all skinny, a little skinny had the beard, a little shot up, you know, I looked the shell, a little skinny, a little skinny. But December 19th, that's when they moved us. They moved us, they shackled us up, the big ESU, the emergency service unit guys, they're very intimidating. They don't give a fuck about nothing. As soon as they see you, you're in a cell, as soon as they see you, they'll tell you, get up, strip down. And then they'll tell you, you know, like serious shit, strip down. He goes, open your mouth. Then they'll say, cough, turn around. Literally, you got to spread your ass cheeks apart. You got to cough because if there's anything out there, they'll see it when you cough. Right. Um, they literally just break you down. And I was all weak. I was still cut wide open from all the surgery and shit. 
I was on, you know, I was on life support. And now you got these big dudes, man. They're not playing. He said, if you say anything or you get to whatever, he goes, he goes, I'm going to fuck you up. He said, you're going to be right back in the hospital. He said, straight up. I was so scared, bro. Yeah. How old were you? Uh, 30 years old. He said, I'm going to fuck 30. you up. You're going to be right back in the hospital. I said, no, I'm not going to do anything to bother you. Tr- trust me. So, uh, then they, <laughs> I, in the van, we were all shackled up, you know, things to you with the chain around you, your feet are shackled, everything, bro. Orange jumpers. In case somebody gets away, they got those fluorescent. We got jumpers on fluorescent so they can mm. find you right away. Get a helicopter. There he is. There's the orange jumper. <clears throat> so they take us there. And I remember seeing Dip Mars Boulevard, which is in like Astoria, Queens, like Long Island, like that, right by LaGuardia Airport, which is right by the Rikers. I, I only heard of Rikers. I didn't know exactly where it was. I knew it was in New York City somewhere. I didn't know it was right there. It's in East Elmhurst, Queens. Okay. So I remember I was in there and my co-defendant was sitting across from me. We got the cage in the middle, right? And I'm trying to like look. And it's all graded, but from one one little opening that they had, I saw Dipmar's Boulevard. And I'm thinking, where are we? And then uh, I said, where are we? And he goes, Rikers, we're Rikers Island. I'm like, oh my God. Because I have nothing but horror stories about that place. And it's like, this is going to be my life. This is serious business here. So December 9th, 2005 was probably the worst day of my life. When they put me in that cell, it was like somebody died. I'm all shot up. I'm trembling from coming off all the drugs. Right. I'm facing the rest of my life in prison. I'm in so much pain. Well, everything hit me all at once. It was a bad day, bro. And uh, Was that your lowest? Or did you say that was your lowest? I mean, yeah, that could have been, but no, maybe later on when I overdosed after that. <clears throat> so when you the overdose was the lowest, huh? So the overdose that that's when you got you were you were trying to get drugs from one person and you're gonna get it from two people and you're like, I might as well take two, right? Is that how that overdose story went? <clears throat> well, I was getting stuff at church. I was getting morphine at church, and then I was getting heroin in the next cell block. So I, it was a Saturday. I was able to get both. And I got it, figuring I'll do some today and then tomorrow. And then I'm thinking all this other shit. Well, if they take it, and then I did it all. And I ended up overdosing in my cell that day, November 12, 2006, you know? Wow. But, you know, then I, I went up, I sobered up. I fought the case. Like I said, I beat all the top charges upstate. I got my GED. Everything was, you know, I, I ended up getting a time cut because of my associate's degree that I earned. Yeah. When I came home, it was tough, man. It's tough, but a little by little, I stayed the course. I didn't have much money, but uh, you know, I had a good support system. I had my family, my friends, a lot of people that love me, and they got me to the next level. And thank God, I'm you know blessed. Uh, you know, I've done some film and television. You know, <clears throat> um, uh, yeah, so I'm really blessed for all that. And I also work in the, you know the drug treatment industry. Someone took notice as I'm you know getting a lot of attention in that regard online and on Instagram, and people reaching out, Lilo and. Um, I'm with a company called More Life Recovery. We give you more choices so that you can have more life. My friend Stevie, Kenny, Joe, um, owners of the company. It's a great place. And it's great for me to be there because it's like, I look forward to going there because I know that I'm just as vulnerable as anybody else in treatment. Just because it's like, we're addicts. You know, you take one car ride, you know, I always say you're you're one car ride away from a relapse. That all That's all it takes. You get in that car, that ride, you could see somebody on the way 
or that dealer that used to sell you that, like, yo, what's up, man? You still in business? Yeah, what's up, man? Boom, done. <clears throat> you know what I mean? So I need to be there because I, it's, it, it holds me accountable because I got to be there, you know, every week. And I don't want to, you know, them to have to say, well, hey, Lilo, you know, well, I'm sorry, you guys, you know, Lilo was supposed to be here today, but he's, uh, we haven't been able to get in touch with him already or anything. I'm oh, somewhere all fucked up. It was, I love some, you know, I love these people, some really good people. And they're just struggling. It doesn't make them bad people. It's just a bad time in their lives where, you know, they lost control of their lives. But, uh, you know, with the right support, you know, support, the, you know, the right tools, they can overcome that and they can get their lives back on track. And that's what we're trying to do at More Life. That's what we're trying to do, try to help them get their lives back on track. Because obviously you lose control. You know what I mean? You're not a bad person. You lose control of your life because of the drugs and the alcohol. And we want to show you, we want to show you a way to gain control of your life once again. You know, so... That's amazing. And your title is a uh, director of public relations, right? Yeah, director of public relations. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been uh, doing that? I would say probably since April of 2018. Very nice. Very and, nice. Uh, you've so you're yeah. working with like, um, is it the same group or are they coming coming in and coming out or? Yeah, like that. I mean, you do get some. You know, obviously they're there for months, but then you know. <clears throat> you get some people, you see them once or twice, you never see them again. <clears throat> then you get some people, you see them for a couple of weeks, never see them again, you know, so it varies. Mm -hmm. I'll take yeah. it back to the uh, court case. Uh, they, were they trying to characterize you as, you know, some of your characters, like in the movie? Were they trying to paint you as like a bad guy? Like, No, nah, they couldn't do that. But when I did testify on my own behalf, she did try to say that, you know, you're an actor, right? So, you know, you're good at it, right? I said, I like mm -hmm. to detail. So I said, what's to say that you're not acting when you're up there? I said, well, it's a much different, uh, much different playing, different, you know, playing field. This is my life. I said, this is real shit. And if, you know, yeah. so, but that's, but no, she didn't say, uh, you know, I mean, come on. If I was on the jury and, 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 and a DA did that, I would be so turned off. I would say that has nothing to do with anything. We know what it is. The name of the game is you have to prove this person's guilt. The burden is on you, not him. All he, could do, all he has to do is sit there. By you saying that, that means nothing. It means that you have nothing. If you got to right. stoop that low and be that desperate and say some shit like that, now I'm going to know the rest of your case is bullshit. You would never say that. Watch, keep quiet and present the facts. <laughs> Rather than in the media and everywhere else. Present the facts in the courtroom. Tell the story. Yes, sir. You know? Yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, because think about what it is. It's the same set of facts made into two different stories by two different people. It's which one you believe more than the most, you know? Yeah, I did some mock trial back in my day, and that's all it was, man. You got It was essentially you got a script, and then it's like, all right, you're defending this. And you're you're attacking this, so yeah, dude, uh, that that's crazy enough. Uh, the way that you just broke it down, you broke it down uh, very well on a uh, you know DJ Vlad's uh, interview. You broke down your case, man. I was like, man, you could be your own lawyer for right now. You know what I'm saying? Uh, <laughs> and that whole situation, but yeah, man, like that that is crazy, man. Uh, so you've been at like the tops of the, you've been the highs of highs, the lowest of lows. What are some takeaways from you know being at the top, like? you know being an actor being in the clubs you know doing all those things and then what what like takeaways you get from like you know from when you get opportunities <clears throat> that i got at such a young age 
you have to really do the right thing by them. Like that does that kind of stuff that doesn't happen to everyone. You know what I mean? And just because of the lack of experience at that time, I squandered a lot of, you know, many great opportunities. So that's what I would say that does, you know, just be blessed at where you are and really appreciate it and act like you appreciate it by treating it the right way and making the right decisions behind it to not squander it and make sure it lasts. Um, <clears throat> I mean, as far as, I mean, I've lived middle-class my whole life. And then, you know, that happened, you know, when I went to jail and everything, that was a very scary and sad time in my life. I was very depressed. It was very hard. It was very hard, you know? But like I said, I had the good support system around me. I had my parents, my dad. Today he would have been 74, rest in peace. And, uh, you know, I, you know, they came to see me. My dad was sick and everything, but he still made, came to see me every week. He used to drive four and a half, five hours to come see me at, in, you know, all the way in upstate prison. You know, gas was out, you know, through the roof like it is now, but he still did it. And, you know, I had, I had a lot of, a lot of, you know, my, my, my brother and his wife, I just had a little baby too. So I had, a, you know, a lot, a lot to come home to. And, and that's uh, one of the main I notes I have had for you. Like the first two notes I have like for you on my like sheet here, support system and family. Family was like there for you from the jump. Like, so that's that, the that difference. Like, that That's yeah. the difference of those who make it and don't make it a lot of the times is the support system. It's not like one guy's better than the other. It's like this guy's got more people in his corner. So he had more resources to pull from when he needed them to get to that and to keep going. <clears throat> when <clears throat> you don't have that and you hit that ceiling and you don't have those resources to go past it, what do you do? You get discouraged and then, you know, you let it slip away. But the support is everything, man. It's everything, you know? So if you know somebody who's in jail and you care about that person, support them because they're going through a really tough time and your support is going to make all the difference in their, you know, in their recovery from whatever it is that landed them where they are. So just support them, you know, don't forget about them. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. So uh, on your Instagram page, you have a lot of um, inspirational videos that you record and I just want to get your thoughts on like what made you decide to create these videos and um, yeah. Well, I'm, you know, part of my job, the you know, obligation is to fulfill, to fulfill is I got to do two of those a week. And at first it was more out of that, but now it's like, I actually love doing them because people actually respond and people actually, you know, can use them. I get so many beautiful comments. It really warms my heart to know that there's actually people out there that are like listening to what you say. Cause I put, you know, like I, I got to come up with different concepts and then, you know, and it's gotta be in that format of less than a minute or less. And I got to write it down. And then, you know, some stuff I got to cut out because it's too long. It takes time man. it's not, it's not a, <clears throat> but like I said, it's very, <clears throat> uh, they make me feel good about myself because I know they're for the greater good. Like people can say like, you know, and I get, you know, anywhere from five to 15,000 views, you know, that's right. decent. You know what I mean? I'm not, I don't got Ronaldo, you know, numbers, <laughs> numbers. right? That guy's, he's got the biggest in the world. The soccer player Ronaldo yep. is in stratosphere, his Instagram. He's got like a billion followers. That is, he's not three, 400 million followers. He's insane. But yeah. And you know, like it's, it's, Whatever little platform I do have, I like that, you know, I, you know, I think it's important that, uh, you know, I can use it in the right way and to influence and inspire people 
you know what I mean? To, to do, you know, good things and, and make them want to, you know what I mean? Succeed in life and the little lessons and little things that I've learned along the way and things that helped me, you know, and hopefully I can, you know, share that with you and uh, you can use it in a way that, you know, it can help you like it did for me. That's what it's all about. I'm not saying I'm the smartest guy in the world or I do this. I get, I get comments. So, Hey, what do you think you are now? Mr. Rogers, you know, like people are crazy, <laughs> but it's just like, it's funny. It's yeah, funny. Yeah. I laughed at that. Right. Shit. Well, my hairline was back here. People used to say, hey, look at this guy. He's like <laughs> cop. You know, like <clears throat> one guy was like, you know, look, look at him. He's, he looks like he's got a yarmulke on. <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. I laugh at that. I don't give a shit about that. You know? Yeah. 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 You got the internet trolls. You always have those internet trolls. Corey, were you about to say something? Oh, no, I was just oh, oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just saying, I have big respect for you carrying on uh, all the inspiration, because that's another step for you uh, in your recovery, you know? It's well, to great. give back, man. Yeah, to give exactly. back. Yeah, yeah, that's part of that's You know, that's a uh, lot to give back, to make amends to all the people that you hurt, you know? <clears throat> I'm not necessarily, I do follow some of the steps. I'm not a big Narcotics Anonymous guy. Yeah, I just don't like some of the stuff that just the word powerless alone, I think is so self-defeating. If someone tells right. you that you're powerless, it's like you have you don't have control, but you don't need to tell yourself that you don't have control. And it's like, I don't like, you know, I don't know, a lot of aspects of it. I just don't like, I think it's too rigid and I just think it's just too much. And people can do it for a little bit, but I see a lot of people relapse. I see a lot of people relapse in the rooms. But then, you know, you got some people, but I just never saw the importance or the use of a guy who's 30 years in recovery, still going to meetings. I just, that's like speeding in the second grade till you're 50. Right, right. It's like, right or wrong? It's like, no, 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 you're I'm past that. Sense, yeah. It just uh, never made sense to me. So it wasn't for me. I didn't like it. <clears throat> I have one question about like back in the prison. Uh, your time in prison, what are some like uh, key, like, you know, points that, that like, what are some things in prison that you would like to see change? Like, are there any changes you would like to see in prisons, like just in general? I just think some of the programs that they offer to rehabilitate some of these guys for them to reenter society, I just don't think they're enough. I just think they give you just enough to go through the motions to justify with the state to say, all right, well, we, he had his program, but I didn't get shit out of those programs. Well, I, well, actually I did. ART, which was aggression replacement training. That was, I did, you know, learn how to suppress some of my anger through that. But then there was another one, ASAT, alcohol and substance abuse treatment, and nothing out of it. I'm like, what is this? This is what I'm here for. The alleged crime or whatever, you know, that was, it was drug fueled. You take the drugs out of the equation, the crime doesn't happen. So Nathan, you got, right. you know, I need more treatment. Like this is not enough. <clears throat> I don't know anything different or any, I have not acquired any different tool from what I learned there. That's going to make me better on the outside. And I just think they need to do more. They got these counselors, these people like never got high. Oh yeah. I drank, uh, smoked pot in college once. Oh, bro, I was, are you nuts? I was climbing through people's windows. You got with ladders. Yeah. My father's working. Yeah, they can't connect. They, they cannot connect. I think it was just once, and I smoked some weed, and it was, oh, my God, never again. Okay, and you're going to tell me what I need to do? You don't know right. shit about this. Exactly. I don't know what it's like, you know, but, guys, I got a few more minutes, all right? 
yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's fine. Um, coming back in 2013, you got out of 2013. How was life uh, like when you got out of 2013? How did it feel? Well, yeah, it felt great, but it was like, you know, I wasn't some war hero that, uh, you know, coming home from the war and, hey, little I minutes, mean, a lot of people were disappointed and didn't want to see me home and didn't like the fact that I was let out and released. So it was tough. I got a lot of doors slammed in my face, a lot of people, you know, <clears throat> but, you know, I stayed the course. I got some opportunities. I did, you know, some films and you know, independent films and, it's, you know, got back to doing what I love. Um, you know, be starting a film uh, November 1st called Sleepyhead. It's on my Instagram. Um, you know, when the guy goes in the store, robs the store. I don't know if you saw the trailer. It's really cool. Yeah. Um, we start that. I got a film called The Fury that I'm also a producer on that my friend Victor Rios directed. You know, uh, it's a vigilante film that's coming out. A short film with Jamie Lynn Sigler called I'm on Fire. Really, really, uh, you know, really, really good, really good stuff. It's uh, about like child abuse and, this, you know, this guy and the way, you know, treats his family. It's, it's a cycle. It's a cycle that he experienced and it's, it's pretty deep, man. It really is. Um, you know, and I have one out called uh, Made in Mexico. Uh, Mario Lopez produced. And, uh, you know, our good friend uh, Rodney Ranks, we call him Tootie. He wrote and directed it. Um, it's really cool. I play a Mexican cartel guy. It's like, a, it's, it's funny too. You like it. Um, so yeah, things are good, man. I work, you know, working more life. I got my, my nephew, my nieces. My nephew's nine. My nieces are uh, five years old. You know what I mean? I got nice, nice, uh, nice, simple life, man. The way I like it. You can't complicate things. You got to keep things simple. Simplicity is key to life. Keep everything simple. And it's, you know, yeah, without, a doubt, without a doubt. So, uh, any last words, any last questions, anybody? Um, yeah. So, I mean, he kind of already answered the, the question that I had was like, what are your plans for the future? And you kind of already touched a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, like I said, Sleepyhead November 1st, and then, uh, you know, whatever else, you know, after that, you know, we'll see what happens with that and these other ones that, you know, do come out and see what, I, you know, what traction can be gained from them, if any at all. If not, you just keep working. You know what I mean? That's just the way it goes. Sometimes yeah. it's cool to just, you know, like you got to grind it out. Sometimes when, when, sometimes when you are grinding is when you find out things that you would have never find out had you not been in that, you know what I mean? You know, but, but things are well, I'm not complaining. I'm not to, you know, um, you know, things are well, you know, so I don't, <clears throat> I really want to be careful in what I pick and choose. And I don't want to keep playing like, you know, stereotype myself and playing these gangster Italian tough guy roles. You know, it's don't worry, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's like, you know, someone, you know, came to me if like Scorsese said, I want, of course, but you know what I mean? I just yeah, want yeah. to like discover more of what I'm capable of as an actor. Yeah, and you know, a lot of times with the studio films, <laughs> these big studio movies, obviously that's what you want to be in because they're seen by the most people and you can make the most money. But when it comes to these studio films, they're not going to cast me as anything other than what people think I'm going to be. And they, hey, hey, Tony, how you doing? Hey. And that to me is not, I, I, I don't care about that. Like, it's not fun. I don't want to be in movies just so I can say, hey, look, man, I'm in that movie or put it on my Instagram. I don't care about that. You know what I mean? Because it's like when Bronxdale came out like that, from the day, you know, like right after it was released, everyone knows who you are now. And it's like a whole different world. So as far as all that kind of stuff, I experienced that at a very young age to where that's, I don't care about that. It's not important. It's very distracting. 
And uh, if, you know, not handled the right way, it can literally make you go crazy. But it's not like that anymore. But I'm just saying. But now, it's, to me, it's more about the work, man. I just want to be an actor. Right. I want to play this next, the pumpkin. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's the, yeah. Love, of, it's the love of the game. You know, it's not right. so much about the money. It's more so, right. like, the actual art. Art craft. Right. And yeah. when you think like that, the money will follow. When you think about money, when you think about doing good work and quality stuff and really challenging yourself, putting out quality work, the money will follow. That's just the way it goes. You don't have to worry about the money. It always comes with all that. Just because you can't control the money. You can't control who's going to come see it or not. All you can control is your performance, your effort, and everything. We're only responsible for the effort, not the outcome. That's it. You put in the effort, whatever happens, happens. Usually when you have, you know, some integrity and some, you know, good work ethic and you work hard and you put in a, you know, good effort, usually good things happen and the money follows. So. Yeah, without that. And then you, you've already true. proven yourself as, you know, like it that role like you are you're more than just you know being on a soprano or bronx tell you're more than that so like i'm really grateful to see that you're able to like go on and move on to newer roles newer challenges newer heights and you know you're developing you're you're sort of like a coach if you really think about it you know your pr uh uh being with more life you know uh you're like you're really like a coach you're you're helping others and you're helping yourself. You're leveling up yourself while you're helping other people level up. So, Lilo, thank you. Well, yeah, for of course, time. because, you know, with the Bronx Tale, yeah, people know the film. And they know just because of how big it was, they can easily Google you and easily know, find out where you've been. And like, wow, this guy was just like me. He was right where I was. But now he's not like that. Now he's doing well and he works out and he looks good and he does whatever, you know what I mean? And he's like, actually, you know, and then they start to realize that it is possible because they're seeing it. It's not what you tell people, it's what you show them. I show them every week, every time I go there, I show them that, you know what I'm saying? I show them and provide for them a good example. You know what I mean? So that's it, you know? Lilo, thank you for your time, man. Thank uh, you, guys. You guys follow him on Instagram, check out his movies, check out Made, uh, Made in Mexico, man. I really appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Thank you, bro. Uh, Thank you, gentlemen. God bless you. Thank Have you. a good night, all right? You too, man. Thank bye -bye. you, man. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.